Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. And today we are bringing you the NBA Finals postmortem. The NBA Finals have come and gone. The Golden State Warriors are your NBA Finals champions again, and it doesn't really look like there's much stopping them in the future. And we get into that. We dissect their legacy, what this means for the NBA, how great they actually are, historically speaking. And to do that, we had two of our most popular uh, and uh, and most famous guests. I'm going to say famous because you guys probably know and read these fellows all the time if you're following the NBA. That's Mike Pina from Vice Sports and Mo Dacchio from thejumpball.net. They're two of our favorites, and Prada and I really enjoy having them on the pod and getting into some strong conversations. So before you listen to this podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, all those good things we always ask for. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on SBNation.com backslash MBA. Uh, shoot us those questions as well. We always love comments and questions, uh, and we really appreciate them. We actually changed our theme music for this podcast because of some comments that we got. We've, we take to, into consideration uh, what our listeners think and feel, and I hope that sets us aside in the podcast world. But you can send those questions, those comments, all those good things to Mike Prada at SBNation.com, at Mike Prada SBN, at limited underscore upside, and at EpiBen. That's email, that's Twitter. Send us those questions, send us those comments. We're going to be doing team-by-team breakdowns all summer long. But before we even get to those summer team breakdowns, this is our capstone. This is the NBA Finals uh, postmortem look back and, I guess, look forward if there is any stopping this Golden State team in the next five years. So enjoy this episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. Welcome back to Limited Upside Post NBA Finals Edition. I'm Mike Prada. Ben Epstein is over there, tucked in a room in our office, and we have two special guests, longtime guests of the show, to try to dissect what the heck we just saw. Mo Dacchio from the Jumpball.net, former LA Clippers video and San Antonio Spurs video coordinator, and Mike Pina, staff writer at Vice Sports, two of our regulars. How you guys doing? You tired? I'm great. I feel quite refreshed. <laughs> Quite refreshing. Yeah, that's right. You're on the West Coast. Uh, unbelievable. Also on the West Coast are the NBA champion Golden State Warriors, 16-1 and through this playoffs. And to steal a line from Ben Epstein here, I'm curious, when from a holistic perspective, what was the first thought y'all had when that game was over and it was clear that the Warriors were going were gonna to win this title? Uh, I guess I'll start. Um, I mean... Kevin Durant, uh, I think he was the story of the series. He was just, I mean, he was unstoppable, especially in that, in game five. I mean, he scored over 30 points in every game, which is is obviously impressive. Uh, and, you know, last night he he was absurd. He, he kind of bailed them out a few times in a couple of possessions where it looked like the Cavs were, were closing the gap. I think they got it to four. And just like every time they did that, he would just, it would be like mid middle of the shot clock ISO situation. And he would just hoist one and just drain it. And it's like, is, what do you do about that? And it's just, 
you can't really double guys on this team because they obviously have Clay Thompson and and Steph Curry on the floor too, and those guys are obviously able to just cut your throat at a moment's notice. So I don't know how you defend this team. It's the best offensive attack I've ever seen in my life, and uh, there's a there's a fatalistic. Uh, aspect to this series and to this entire season um, yeah. ever since Durant joined this team. This um, entire season, maybe the next five years. <laughs> it, yeah. And it, that's, it's kind of depressing to think about uh, if you, if you're a fan of, uh, you know, competitive balance, what have you. Uh, but on the other hand, it's, it's good. I think to just see greatness perform. Yeah. From, I mean, right when it happened, I was happy for Durant. It was nice to see him kind of, finally get the the championship i mean he everybody had been talking about it. he even mentioned it where he needed to join the warriors and they needed him and he delivered for them you know this was the thing they were missing last year was a guy that can just take over and you need a bucket just give it to kd it's so much different between kd and curry just because i think espn did a great job they had a they, like when he shoots and releases the ball He's at 10.3 feet or something like that. Nobody's getting to that shot. And it makes – you saw how big of a difference that was. And we all knew it was coming um, as uh, – um, excuse me. As uh, Mike said, it was uh, fatalistic. We all kind of felt this was coming. We all knew the Warriors were probably going to win it once KD signed. But it was fun to kind of see it come together and really seamlessly from like game one, it really felt like these guys were just locked in. I love the defense more than anything else. I was really impressed by the, the, the Warriors defense all year. So it was nice to see that kind of come to the close. I'm not as doomsday as everybody else. You know, I'm, I'm excited to see how the Warriors have to readjust now and start adding fringe pieces as they go along. And, and you have you have to see how the league evolves. Like there's a mechanism when one team does something drastic and puts this type of pressure on the rest of the league. The league has to respond in some way. Um, you know, listening to Quinn Snyder on uh, the Vertical podcast, you know, he's not resolved to say that, yeah, we're going to wait three years until this window uh, closes or, or five years. Or well, What coach is, though? Well, that's what I'm saying. But like yeah. knowing that the coaches aren't going to just sit back and watch the, right. the Warriors win for the next five seasons. And ultimately, neither are the GMs and neither are other star players. So it'll be interesting to see where the clusters of of the next potential super teams move but i mean like to to put a a little bow on that fatalistic component did that and and not necessarily a bow on it but to answer or ask another question and i'll tee this off to prada and then i'd love to get pina and and mo's thoughts here too but did did that ultimately uh dial down the way we felt last night in that moment when the game ended i didn't even have like a real emotion at that moment i just kind of sat there I watched as ESPN's or ABC's cameras did a terrible job of showing <laughs> the entire celebration and not just Kevin Durant walking around. I uh, would have liked to have seen what was happening around the court. Um, they need but, one uh, of those like TNT overtime cams where they just focus on specific players at the celebration. Yeah, like, yeah, so like you can uh, watch, you can choose like which player you want to watch. Like you could have watched Andre Iguodala curse up a storm on a separate <laughs> camera if you wanted. Yeah, and like on, on ESPN Seven, there's like eight ex coaches groveling about how much they hate Golden State, just like for the uh, national championship for college football. <laughs> um, right, <laughs> but uh, but no, I think I think for me that like emotion that usually comes, like I'll use last year as the immediate thought that came to my head when Cleveland won Game Seven, and granted that was Game Seven after three one. Oh. 
it felt like there was so much importance for LeBron's legacy, for the city of Cleveland, all of that. This felt like a an exhale, like now we can breathe. What we knew we were supposed to do is finally accomplished. And now we can move on to what should be a successful run for a few years. But it was like not just a monkey off your back, but it was the completion of lots and lots of NBA narratives finally just being buried. And that's for me what I, I got from that last moment of the game last night was, yes, Kevin Durant started crying with a minute and a half left on the court because he could feel the weight of the game finally being taken off his back. What narratives got crushed, though? I feel like it actually kind of only en- enhances like some of the stuff no, I, that we've talked about. Like, did you see that Nike commercial, which I don't know about it. you guys. You loved liked it. it? I don't know. Loved like, it. I thought it... I just hate how everything is turned into like there's a hater and then there's the there's someone fighting back against a hater and there's no real room for in between. But there are in betweens. There's me, right? And there's guys like. Well, us then why did you like it? <laughs> no, I'm saying why, no. Why did I? Why did I like that commercial? I thought yeah. it was just a really good spot. I like the idea that if you're trying to sell a product, you need to have an us versus them mentality. Well, that's I mean, true. There's I also so, the yeah. immediate juxtaposition that his teammate. And one of the other most well-known players in the world is not a Nike or even Adidas branded guy. I mean, having Under Armour be the quintessential like competitor uh, in, in the retail apparel space, which they're really not. I thought it was interesting that the immediate spot right after the NBA finals for the MVP was a Nike spot when really one of the kind of beacons of Golden State and Steph has been that they weren't the traditional we're not your your mom and pops, uh, you know, Chicago Bulls. Everyone wears Nike. Everyone's conforming to like well, the retail apparel are. hierarchy. <laughs> now, yeah, now they are. Now they are. But that was. I, I mean, is- I feel like that's the most interesting takeover of the Warriors. It's not even what happened on the court, but just how Nike took over that team. Uh, where I mean, imagine think about where that team was two years ago, shoe wise. But that's a whole separate conversation. Yeah. But but okay. So regardless of the shoe stuff, I guess the narrative put to bed was more just like we were talking the entire time about how Kevin Durant needed to leave a seemingly close competitor to go to this great team, and you know yada yada yada. At the end of the day, they won the title, and you can complain about how they got there, but it's done. Like it's over with. The the, the idea that he sold out. Oklahoma City to go chase a title. He didn't chase a title. He won the title. Um, and uh, for me, that that seems like a, a nice narrative. Now you can move on to the next part, which is how does the league rebound from what seems to be uh, an insurmountable task here? And I'd love to get like, Peanut, tell me what you think uh, the response is going to be league wide to this type of dominance and, and sort of foregone conclusion that that fatalistic uh, narrative that you were just talking about. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. Uh, I, I don't know uh, how, in just one off season, any team around the league can uh, up itself to Golden State's level. That's kind of why we're we're having this discussion. Where it's kind of like I know Jeff Van Gundy said they they dominate for the next decade. I don't know about that, um, but the foreseeable future feels like it's theirs uh, for the taking. Um, I'm working on a piece right now, just like what can the Cavaliers do to, to kind of boost themselves a few inches and get over the hump. And I mean, their options are, uh, they're scarce. I mean, they have like the, the, the mini mid-level and veterans minimums. And um, they have eight guys from this year's roster coming back. Uh, they're guaranteed money for next season. Everyone will be older. And by everyone, I basically just mean LeBron. He's <laughs> the most important player on the team. Um, well, everybody's going to be older because that's how life works. Well, that is true. <laughs> thank, you, <laughs> thank, thank you. Yes, thank you for, for clarifying, guys. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I've been editing a lot of stuff over the last, <laughs> last 24 hours. I'm kind of in that mode. 
No, that's fair. I'm a dummy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like the Houston Rockets, they have they have a, they're in a position where you know they can trade Ryan Anderson and try to get max space. But I, I don't know if there's any players on the market really that that you can add to that team without uh, kind of changing what their essence is and and taking away from what made them great this year. Um, you have the Spurs and and the Chris Paul dynamic there. I don't really see a logical or or I should say a realistic path to that happening. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's really difficult to, to say how any team in the league can get themselves over the hump to, to, to really compete with this team as early as next season. Well, like for me, I was really disappointed that Kawhi got hurt because I really thought the Spurs were in the best situation to at least challenge the Warriors. You know, the... The Cavs went about the model of building a team to try to outshoot the Warriors, which in my mind's a bit silly. Whereas the the Spurs had enough guys to defend them, you know, and I thought that was how you need to go about it is try to get as many wing defenders as you possibly can. So, you know, I thought Jonathan Simmons really showed a lot in the playoffs. I mean, obviously Kawhi is one of the best defenders, you know, Danny Green chasing guys around. I, I feel like the Spurs game plan of we're going to defend these guys and we're going to pound the ball inside was kind of is the right game plan against these Warriors. Uh, that's this year. I, I think they'll be better next year, just another year under their belt. And who knows what the Spurs are going to look like. I don't, I, I'm with Pina. I don't see the Chris Paul thing happening. They got to give up too much to get him. And the other thing I kind of want to mention is just these Warriors came out of nowhere three years ago. You know, at the beginning of the year, three years point. ago, we didn't know this team was going to be this good. Obviously, I mean, forget about them adding Durant, but even just for two years, you know, they just came out of nowhere. We all thought the Clippers were going to be the team to really kind of start up and coming. I mean, once they got rid of their video coordinator named Mo, they, the <laughs> idea was that he was holding them back. They were going to launch themselves. It wasn't, and, it wasn't Vinny Del Negro. It was you. <laughs> yeah, it was me. I was, I was holding them back. Um, but the, the Warriors came out of nowhere. And my point is, we don't know what's going to happen in the East or the West and what what teams all of a sudden are just going to click, you know, and, and, and somebody's going to take a leap and you're just going to be looking and going like, damn, like I, I wasn't expecting that. Well, there, there's also, like Ben said, there's a super team possibility, which is, you know, if you're LeBron, like, do you try to recruit someone else somehow? Do you try to trade one of your two stars for a better star? Do you try to get in on Paul George, who knows. The problem I feel like every team is going to ultimately run into, and it's the same thing that Ben was talking about, is that, like, is KD. I mean, that's the ultimate. What was interesting about these finals is that, like, it would have. I think this finals would have felt a little differently for me um, if the Warriors kind of won in a more of an ensemble effort. But, like, KD, especially in Game 5, was just so much of an overwhelming force. It's almost like when LeBron joined Wade and Bosch and there was some talk that that was going to be sort of more of an evenly distributed thing. And then you realize that like how much better LeBron is than those two guys game. KD was, that's what made it a little more enjoyable for me. These (laughs) finals. than I kind of thought it was just like seeing KD take them on a level where they were in trouble and Katie sort of rescued them, especially, I mean, some of the shots he hit were just amazing. And if, if you're going to beat the Warriors in the future, I guess, you know, you need someone to address the KD problem. And I just, Kawhi could do it. You know, I guess the Cavs didn't really have anyone to do it. Um, you know, there are other players that could do it, but you know, I thought that at least after game three, the warrior, the Cavs at least sort of 
made better stylistic decisions. I don't know why it took them so long. I think they could have made this more interesting of a series if they figured this out sooner. But at the end of the day, like KD just hit too many shots. And, you know, what would have happened if that that adjustment happened sooner? And by proxy, as we go forward, like what happens if someone figures out the rest of the Warriors, but they just can't, but KD just hits all these shots? Yeah, I think I think that's kind of what stood out, though, was that the other Warriors are both mentally and then obviously in their capabilities on the court were OK with positioning themselves and moving into a new role seamlessly within the course of one season. I think if we think back to that LeBron analogy you just used, and I think it's a strong one, uh, Preda, is that, you know, it, it took that Heat team time, um, not just in the regular season, but obviously that, you know, they lost uh, their first championship run to, to the Mavericks and there was this this idea that there was like a learning curve. And we even afforded that, whether or not there was scrutiny or not is you know, neither here nor there, but we afforded that to LeBron, Wade, and Chris Bosh uh, with an ensemble of uh, you know veterans who were intelligent and good players like Shane Battier. Um, we didn't afford that to this Warriors team. It was, they better win the title or, <clears throat> or else, right? And just kind of the way that Steph seamlessly moved into being this supporting all-star and that Clay said, look, if I'm not going to get the same amount of shots in a volume way in this NBA Finals, I'm going to play the best possible perimeter defense. And he was stunning. His lateral movement on Kyrie was incredible. They talk about keeping your head outside and turning a guy. Like, yes, Kyrie was unbelievable, but that's partially because no one makes more difficult shots in, or even attempts more difficult shots in basketball than Kyrie Irving. But I think you got to see just like the complete basketball teammates that the rest of the Warriors could be. And that's, I think, what should scare the rest of the NBA was that in a certain circumstance, maybe it's the Spurs and you might get a 35 points a game series from Steph Curry and 25, but 12 rebounds and good defense, et cetera, from Durant. Whereas they kind of had this understanding of who needs to be the guy per the series, per the per the possession uh, that was really you know seamless. And I think you got to see that, you know, uh, all the fruits of that labor and the end of. Uh, game three, when it was, you know, Kevin Durant saying, like, I, I'm going to just win this now. Um, and that's OK with everybody. And that kind of allowance to defer is in its own right an exceptional skill. I would say so. And I mean, it's, Paul wrote about Steph uh, after game after game five. I think it's worth reading. I think Clay's disposition is super underrated. You know, mm-hmm. it's really important that that dude doesn't seem to care, because ultimately, if you look ahead, like that's. That's probably the guy that maybe not the most expendable of the four, but you know his contract's up the soonest, and he's not Steph or KD, so that's sort of going to be an interesting thing to follow. And you know, KD had to meet them halfway a little bit too. You know, not all the way, but you know, he had to. And I think it helped that you know one of the things that was sort of unique about this compared to the Heat is that KD chose to be a part of a ensemble, whereas LeBron created the team. And so there was already some motivation on KD's end, knowing that he had to adjust a few things. Uh, and I think that made it a little bit easier for them to figure this out. I want to ask uh, Pina this question: um, Have you? Like, or do you put like any extra emphasis on the job that Steve Kerr did uh, from like an actual managing of personalities and integration of talent? Uh, and then, Mo, obviously, I'd love to get your input here, too, as you kind of got to watch the Clippers and Spurs become the organizations that they are as well. But, Pina, where do we where do we give a little credit here to the guy who's orchestrating this? I mean, Kerr's amazing. He's one of the best coaches in the league. The, the, the system that he created, the offensive system he instilled here, it's just constant ball and man movement, and it is so sublime to watch. And, and getting all these superstar talents 
to buy in and execute it so beautifully. I mean, hats off to him. He's he's a great coach. And I think like when we look at this Warriors team, one of the real interesting things about it to me is like they weren't really pressed ever to make meaningful adjustments throughout the playoffs. I mean, we saw last night they went to the KD Curry pick and roll a bunch, and we found that that is completely unstoppable. If they ever fall into a rut, if they ever fall into a rut going forward, just go to that and good luck guarding it. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's so scary. And like, they can always go small. Um, and Kerr has been reluctant to uh, go to those small lineups as early as, as he did last night when he put Iguodala in for Pachulia and just kind of bypassed the Javal McGee or going back a year, the Anderson Vergeau minutes. Um, you know, there's still times where they played uh, lineups that had the, the, the David West, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green lineup that kind of starts every second quarter without KD and Curry on the floor. I mean, he always has the option of staggering that. And I know last night foul trouble kind of made it happen by itself. But I mean, this team is it's just it's it's just so absurd and trying to wrap your head around like what their ceiling is, because I think they're only going to get better as these guys become more familiar with one another. It's just so scary. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, it was you know, the most common I guess knock on Kerr is he he never gets away from the team ball aspect of it or, or he stays with a lineup too long. And we kind of saw that all change in game five more than anything else. You know, they, you know, as as uh, Pina said, you know, he instead of going with JaVale McGee to, to substitute for Pachulia like he had been doing, he he went immediately small in the first quarter. He constantly went to plays to to get Durant isos and and get him post up opportunities and you know it, I wonder how much of it of him being out and watching Mike Brown who who tended to do a lot more iso plays and calling Katie's numbers on occasion uh, more often excuse me was had, had some sort of effect you know kind of watching from afar kind of going like we need we need to do more of that we need to try to get try to blend in a little more iso than into uh uh, just constantly running our stuff and running our offense. And I'm sure the entire world is happy now that we finally got a finals and we got the, the KD Steph Curry uh, pick and roll. Yeah. It took a, took them long enough. Uh, okay. Two questions I want to ask that are totally a little unrelated, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on both, because I've been thinking about these a lot. One question more immediate, like, do you guys think there was something more that Cass could have done to make this more of a series? Cause I'm kind of, I kind of think yes, but like I'm also wondering if I'm maybe wanting that to happen and sort of speaking into an existence more so than I should be. Like, I mean, Mo, do you think there's more that Cavs could have done to kind of make this more competitive? There were a couple of things that I thought was interesting in Game Five alone. Um, was the when Clay and KD both got their second fouls and they go to the bench midway through the first quarter. You know, it was really weird. Like around the three minute mark, he. Uh, Lou, Coach Lou pulled out uh, Kyrie to rest him, and I'm like, he's cooking Patrick McCaw. Yep, McCaw literally couldn't guard him, and on like two straight plays, he got his easiest layups of the night, and you subbed him out. And I'm like, this is the time where you got to take advantage of it. You know, there, this is the best chance you have to try to build as big a lead as possible against the Warriors. You know, their their best defenders. You know, two or two of excuse me, two out of the three best defenders for them are on the bench and Kyrie and nobody could guard Kyrie on the court at that point. And you put, took him out. And I was just kind of like, that's a really perplexing decision. 
and I don't, I, and, and Kyrie was upset about it as they were saying on the, the telecast. And I was like, yeah, you, you just let him cook right now. Like this, he's got to go and let him cook. And then, you know, and then they, when they do put Kyrie back in at the end of the quarter, they take LeBron out. And I'm just like, this is your opportunities to really smash on that. And the other thing I thought was, I've been talking about for a while, you know, since the series began. And I wonder if it'd be, if they, back in January when they made the trade for Corver, if they might have been better suited to have made that same trade for maybe like a PJ Tucker, mm. and, and 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 go back more to that line of idea of like we need to get guys who can defend this team, right? So your approach wouldn't have been the let's outscore them; it would have been the how do we get this game to be around 100 instead of 130? Well, how are you going to stop these guys? Like yeah. you know, I, I mean, the, I, I'm a I'm not even in the league, and they give me nightmares. Like if I if I had to think <laughs> about what I'm going to do to stop these guys, like you need to have defenders and it's, it's, you need to be able to have guys that can also make a shot on the offensive end for sure. But you need to be able to, at some point you got to come down to stops and everybody's, we're all talking about offense and how great they are offensively, but the Warriors were one of the best defensive teams all year. Like defense still wins championships. So I kind of agree. I would say that I didn't think this at the time because I thought like, you know, the actually it made sense for them to, you know, if you score more, you get out of transition and the transitions where the Warriors kill you. But I mean, I guess watching game four, it really hit me like they really didn't try to do like the whole let's beat them up on both ends with hard screens Mm -hmm. and bumping off cutters and stuff until later in the series. And I think, you know, you're going to have a game like game five where like and maybe even game three where the Warriors are just going to dominate no matter what you do and you have to sort of bank those games um but i mean games one and two especially like i just didn't see the level of physicality that i expected uh and i think if maybe they were able to do that a little bit sooner this could have been more interesting um but that's really the gripe i have the, the yeah. one guy I, I i really go back to especially early in the series i mean it's tristan thompson i, yeah. I, I expected him to play so much better uh, in this series on both ends. And uh, we, we we talked a lot after the first couple of games about pace of play and how important that was. And it's really difficult to to lower the possessions when, you know, Tristan Thompson is not having an impact at all on the offensive glass and he's only playing like 25 minutes a game. So I thought that his play, I, I mean, he he's just I, I feel like his impact is entirely based more on energy and hustle and physicality and a willingness to impose his will more so than any strategic decisions made by Cleveland's coaching staff. And I mean, not only that, but I mean, he struggled uh, whenever they would trap Kyrie on, on ball screens and they would uh, he would Kyrie would give the ball to to Tristan he would really struggle in the decision-making process more so than he had in last year's finals. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that uh, his play was just a huge factor and his struggles were a huge reason why. It's funny too, because like I actually wrote about it after game three, the Warriors really made an effort to just put a body on him. They got away from it in game four and he, he really kind of blew up, but there would be times where they had two guys literally, and it was basically a wrestling match, but two guys <laughs> taking him out of the offensive glass because I was totally expecting him to dominate the glass just like everybody else. I mean, it's still absurd to me that the Warriors out-rebounded the Cavs in this series. Yeah, and I think that speaks to getting the Cavs to play as small as possible for large periods of time. Um, But I think there's a couple things at play here, too, that we really haven't touched upon, which is that 
the non-LeBron Kyries of the world, and I'm including Kevin Love in this bucket of the ancillary players right now on the Cavs, but the amount of pressure that the overall uh, um, the ability and, and shooting acumen and, and thought ability, the way to think through a position, a possession and where you should be positionally that Golden State had at their disposal. You saw last night, I think there were three wide open backdoor layups, which were just miscommunications on screens. I think all three times between LeBron and JR, um, which is a little bit interesting. JR obviously famously in what was it? Game three or was it game two had the same type of thing with the backdoor pick um, where he lost his man with Shumpert. But I think it was game three. But oh, the, the Celtics here- series. Yeah, yeah, that was game three. That was both. It was both of them. Right. That's right. That's right. And the idea, though, is that like this is what I kept getting to as I'm watching the game is that Golden State plays their type of basketball and they do it very uh, within the flow of the game. And it looks very smooth and it looks like the way that we would idealize the sport of basketball to be played. And I think that's another conversation. But I appreciate that. I like to see peak basketball. But what also that in turn does is it puts this level of perfection and pressure on the other team that gets them out of their natural flow. So you have all these role players on the Cavs. And again, I'm including Kevin Love in this conversation who we're now thinking about how they're going to combat what Golden State's doing and where they're supposed to be defensively and how they're supposed to be grabbing whom underneath the basket instead of doing what they should be doing, which is what you know got them there, which is what got Cleveland to that point, which is what got Kyle Korver minutes and Derwin Williams minutes. Uh, and, um, you know, you go down the list and Richard Jefferson minutes and all of these guys, Shumpert, who just felt like he was going 125 miles per hour at all times in this series. Um, you know, of all these guys who are playing outside of where their actual abilities are, and it in turn is a negative for the team. And that's all just pressure coming from Golden State just being who they are. Um, and I think like kind of the corollary there is that is in essence what Steph Curry does as an individual player to other teams, it, just in his individual skill set. If he's sort of the personification of this line of thought that I'm that I'm putting out here, so. I mean, that's a great point, I think, what you're saying. Thank you. It's rarely do I say that. Thank you. <laughs> but playing Golden State is like a it's a force of will. And once you start to feel like you're responding to playing their game, then I feel like you've almost already lost. And that that's actually interesting when you talk about – Mo talks about the Spurs and what they're doing. Like the Spurs are kind of looking at it as like we're just not going to try to play their game. And I think the Cavs, it only it took them too long to just start sort of stop playing Golden State's game. And because what happens is then you get the crescendo of fast breaks and blah 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 blah. You really sort of have to change to not play the same type of basketball to beat them. And so it that transitions into the last the thing that I'm curious about going forward is like so in the next five years, what could derail these these guys, you know, from doing what they want to do? And I guess one one thought maybe I'd have is you know, if there are more teams that try to zag where they zig and can still do it in a way that uh, doesn't, they don't concede the math problem, which is the ultimate thing. But what do you guys think is going to derail the Warriors in the next five years, if anything? Like, what are the concern factors? And let me throw in one more wrinkle of that too. Answer Mike's question, and Pina, I want to give you the table here first, and then give me a couple teams who you think could materialize into that possible solution. Yeah, I mean the 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 first team that comes to the top of my head is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, I mean, they have Thibodeau as the head coach. If we're talking defense is the way to stop this team. Uh, they have one of the better minds uh, to, to carry that out. Um, 
But I think it all boils down to Carl Anthony Towns and his development and what they do with their cap space this summer before, you know, they're not really able to add any significant pieces going forward. So, yeah, like I, I think a, a player like Carl Towns, like a three point shooting big who, I mean, he has to make incredible strides on the defensive end to really make this a conversation, obviously, but he has the physical tools. Uh, I think if he if they you know, we're talking about someone who can make KD's life difficult uh you know an athlete like carl towns as katie nears 30 years old that's something to think about um but besides that i mean it's tough the 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 new orleans pelicans are not really in the conversation even though when we're, we're talking about a team that has the the philosophy i think of of zigging while everyone else zags or whatever um just with the two big lineup that they've kind of constructed but I don't know how that can, how effective that that can be in in a playoff series against a team like the Warriors with the shooting that they have. I don't know if they can can compete, but but yeah, I would just I I, I always go back to um, the Timberwolves and just the timeline that they're on and how that they can kind of build to rise as the Warriors are potentially declining via or thanks to just like age. <laughs> related decline that sort of thing um but but besides that i don't know uh, the, the other thing that i would say is uh, i think the spurs with their cap flexibility going forward are really interesting um just the fact that if if lamarcus aldridge and danny green opt out in a couple summers they can have potentially enough space to afford two max players that's that's really interesting because they already have a guy who may be the best player in the world by then with Kawhi. so well, I, I like the Spurs future and I, and I like the Timberwolves, but it's really difficult to look beyond that and seriously consider another, uh, another candidate. Yeah. I, a, a couple of things to answer Prada's question of what might stop the Warriors in the next five years. If it's not a team, it's either going to be the luxury tax or the disease of me and somebody human nature taking over and somebody tired of taking being second fiddle or whatnot. Uh, that might be something that might stop the Warriors without a team being involved. In terms of what teams coming up that might be interesting, I'm I'm with Pina on the Wolves if they can figure it out. A couple of teams I'm I'm interested in is I want to see what Boston does this summer if they can add Gordon Hayward and and Markel Fultz is is really the a, a, a phenomenal rookie out of the gates. Like that might be something because then they don't have to give up too much with. They got enough defenders, you know, and, and, and can probably give the Warriors fits. They they already give Warriors a hard time when they play them in the regular season. So that's something that adds to them. The other team is Minnesota. Or not, excuse me, Milwaukee. There are too many M's. It messes me up. Uh, <laughs> the other the other team with the unicorn. Yeah, right. <laughs> Milwaukee. And it's not just that. I mean, like Giannis is a freak. If he If he finds a way to just start developing a more consistent jumper, which, you know, hopefully he's locked in the gym right now as we're speaking and just shooting shots. You know, uh, Jan, uh, excuse me, Don McCor was really interesting this uh, playoffs as well, and he really showed some promise. So if his development progresses, you know, they already got Middleton. Who knows what happens with uh, Jabari Parker? Maybe he's a guy that comes off the bench and really helps them in the second unit. Like, they got a lot of really interesting pieces. I think they could be a team you know, that can do it. And then I'm going to apologize to Prada because I think this is going to make Ben really happy. But I think if Philly can stay healthy, yes. if, we can, yeah. if we can get something of like 
you know, 65 to 70 games from Embiid in the regular season. If we can see Ben Simmons is really something, you know, and whatever they do with the the third pick, you know, and, and they just got a lot of talent, a lot of assets. You know, I think they can kind of put some things together. That'd be a really interesting squad. I mean, everybody's got all these teams have big ifs that they have to answer before they can really step up to the Warriors. But if one of these teams answers these questions, it's it's going to be a really interesting uh, could be a really interesting matchup. Ben, who uh, who's going to sing the national anthem when the Sixers are in the 2021 <laughs> NBA Finals? Well, the first night will be boys to men, obviously. Uh, they, they, seem <laughs> okay. to have, they seem to have the, the market cornered for Philadelphia, um, big sporting event. Uh, then we'll probably welcome back. I, I don't know, man. I, I'll say this: I did love Santana Meek, playing Meek 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 Mill. Mil? I don't know how much of a singer Meek is. Um, <laughs> you know, Philly's well, pretty well represented with, with artists, uh, but I think like I don't know to. To kind of, I don't know, echo a little bit of what Mo is saying there. I think what you were both and and Pina as well. What you're hinting at is like teams need to have like massive disruptors, like not just a zig and a zag, but like this guy doesn't exist yet on the uh, you know in the um, in the vision or whatever of Golden State. Like they're not. That's not something this team has had to think about as potentially knocking um you know down uh, them down a peg. And you definitely need that. And I think this is where the Spurs were so interesting was that the Spurs were comfortable doing some posting up, doing some very strict ISO ball with with Kawhi. And I would love to see a series where all of a sudden Golden State has to worry about an offensive threat at center, because that could that could change a little bit of what they do from who they play and how their spacing is, especially with how Zaza fouls at an incredible clip, just depending on just depending on how the refs, how long they want to allow Zaza to play each game. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, Zaza Zaza won't be there. Next no, year, whoever the backup center is next, it could be Javal McGee starting at center. Yeah, but you, you raise a good point because I don't know. I thought it was interesting how much they needed Iguodala yeah. in Game Five. Like, yeah. and Iguodala is no spr- like he can't do that. He's thirty three. Many 34. times anymore. You know, and I'm sure they're going to keep him and pay him what it costs. But you know, if they don't have him, if he's like already on the decline and Livingston the same way, like you do need a fifth guy. You know, and at some point they're going to need to find that player. I don't know who, could, who it is or what. maybe it's Pat McCall. To, yeah, it could be John McGraw or Pat McCall. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, I mean, that, that would be my concern. Yeah. The other thing is uh, the team that drafts Bull Bull, I think maybe is sort of the, the one to watch. <laughs> well, there's, it's like whoever has Bull Bull. <laughs> well, before before Bull Bull, there's um, and I'm blanking on his name right now. He's signing Michael uh, Porter. No, no, no. It's same year as Porter. Uh, Dembe. Um, uh, Dembe Ba. Yeah, Ba. I mean, he's got a. He'll have the longest wingspan in the NBA the second he gets drafted. He's another, you know, physical freak. But I think we keep naming these physical unicorns, and it's going to take, I think, more than just than just that. I, I look at kind of where um, where Milwaukee, Minnesota, Philadelphia, where they have kind of an upper hand is that their windows are going to go congruent with hopefully the decline. I think that's a big point here, right? Is like yeah. saying that you'll be right. at your peak when Golden State likely hopefully will be at some kind of crossroads uh, you have to i think you have to throw theoretical boston in there yeah yeah and, and i kind of because we don't know exactly what they'll be in three years yeah. but there'll be something well i teed that question up to pino originally because i wanted him to uh to <clears throat> to take the floor with boston for a little bit <laughs> now, now that you're in, 
I can't jinx anything, man. I, 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 <laughs> oh, but I Isaiah Thomas, to... Isaiah Thomas is following Gordon Hayward on Instagram now. Um, oh, did you see the Gordon Hayward putting his kid in the Go Green? Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> Instagram. I printed it out and it's hanging above my bed right now. So, yeah, I, is I, I it? it. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I wish I had the opportunity to be a coveted NBA free agent. I would mess with everybody. Yeah, yeah. Every day I'd wear a different jersey. I'd wear I'd follow somebody else. I'd drop somebody. I yeah. Oh man, I'd have too much fun. Yeah, like oh, Mo, Mo Dockhill's now following the Shanghai Sharks Instagram thread. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yo, hey, uh, Bleacher Report or The Ringer? Like, if you guys got free swag, I'll wear it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to. <laughs> Uh, but come on, Mike, stay on yeah. brand. Stay on brand. Um, cool. Get to some questions. <laughs> on brand. Prada, you you got some good uh, some good fan questions here. Get to yeah. This. Some uh, finals are related, some not. Uh, but I will tee those up uh, as we speak. Uh, did you guys see LeBron's comment on the super team? How he's never been on a super team. Yeah, no, I did. So paper grapes asked about you know if we want to hear more about that. I it was a weird comment because I think he was he was like asked. As if, like, you've been on super teams, and what do you think about this super team? And so I think he was sort of not happy with the line of questioning. And so I don't know if he really believes he's never been on a super team or if he was just, like, kind of fighting back against a line of questioning they didn't like. Um, that was a little bizarre, though, I what he said. You know, I, it kind of has – you can create a super team. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think there is a difference, though, between – this, the teams that LeBron has joined or created, I mean, really created because he kind of created both teams in Miami and in Cleveland with his moves, you know, where there's no infrastructure, that he's the center of it, and, you know, he has to kind of lead them from starting from scratch almost. You know, certainly Miami, definitely Cleveland, and there's sort of more of a culture building. Uh, but Durant really did join a team that was already really great. and Maybe he was trying to separate the two. I don't know. What did you guys think of that? There's also the idea that the, the the common line of thought that LeBron is also like this general manager and like he's the reason Tristan Thompson got his massive extension. And that's one of the reasons why the Cavs are in the fiscal place where they are right now. And it's going to be difficult for them to add players because LeBron's agency is a very strong agency and he gets to have the players picked around him. So there's like that extra bit that it's not just that he's like in theory building these teams is that he's actually like fiscally building these teams as, as well. So that factors in yeah what i was just gonna say is like lebron he he is the system in a way that no other player i think in the league can can really rival like when he leaves a team they just completely crater um yeah i wouldn't have been so upset if he was the mvp of this season or the i mean i i know durant was spectacular in the finals but i mean lebron's like his value to the Cavaliers, it's just it's like their offensive rating was like 116 with him on the floor, and in the 28 minutes they rest, he he rested. It was like 75. Like he just is this team. And uh, I, I, to to go back to his comment about you know playing on a super team, I think it's safe to say that he did play on super teams. The Miami Heat were a super team, um, but I, I think from his perspective. Um, it would have kind of been like if Ray Allen never hit that three, and then the next year he joins the Spurs. I think that that's kind of what he's getting at there, where he joins a, a, a culture that's already established with um, a, a group of players that are already incredible, already humming, and he just kind of uses that system to accentuate his own strengths. Um, so I think that that's probably what he was getting at. Potentially, I actually did not see that comment, but 
but yeah, it's uh, he's definitely played on a super team. I don't think there's yeah. any arguing that. It just feels like a deflection. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think he really thinks about Katie joining the Warriors? Because you know he hinted earlier in the week about like I'll give my real opinion on this in a few years. Did yeah. you guys see that? Yeah. yeah. What do you What do you think he really thinks? I'm, I'm I've been trying to figure this out. I think it's I think Pina just hit his you know hit it on the head right there where he was saying if assume Ray Allen misses that three and he goes and signs with the the Spurs to him and and all just an assumption on my part but like almost he feels like Durant took the easy way out you know and so you think he thinks that you know you don't think he supports Durant it's actually more so that he he would be saying it, it's not that he's saying oh stop piling on on him like this is just how players are because you know he did say also earlier in the series that like if I was an owner I'd sign all the great players too yeah I I I think it's just how he feels I think it's just something you know for him looking at it going like well I never did that and then you know, there was that whole was Durant tweeted out after he went to Miami about, you know, oh, we're just going to forget about competitiveness. I forget what that tweet was several years ago. But I think it's just kind of like I think he does feel he has to feel it a little bit that like, damn, they they went and signed, you know, KD like you kind of just took the easy way out. Like, I mean, could you, I, I really want I wish I was in LeBron at LeBron's place on July 5th when he got the news or 4th, whenever it came out that KD was signing there. Because I want to see what his actual reaction was. So I, my guess would be that he, he feels that he took the easy way out. Yeah, I mean, you could, you could envision him sitting there with some friends, maybe you know, Maverick Carter or something like that, and being like, God, I could average like 38, 11, and 11 in the finals, and we might only win one game. And right. then, you know, well, fast, that's what happened, exactly. right? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, fast forward 11 months, and like, LeBron had an all-time NBA finals. Kyrie really didn't leave much on the court. Granted, Kevin Love could have had a few different better games, but he played well enough in the first few games to give him a chance. And they ultimately didn't really have much of a shot. Like, um, I, I did want to get all of your opinions on this. Let's take Kevin Durant off of Golden State. Let's run this series back like it was last year's Golden State team playing this year, obviously with Zaza and no more um, Bogut. So just really principally. Well, is Harrison Barnes still on the team? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, sure. Harrison Barnes is still on the team. I just want to think like, in a, in a different world where there is no Kevin Durant, is this series the same as last year, or does Golden State find a way to get over this hurdle? In essence, is the variable of Kevin Durant the only thing that puts them above LeBron James and his Cleveland team, or is it something where we could have seen an alternative outcome? I think Cleveland would have won, but not just because of what you're saying. I think also... You know, Kevin Love is in a much better place this year. Uh, the team was playing better, I think, entering the finals. Um, they were a better offensive team, obviously not a better defensive team. Uh, but I, I think Cleveland, the thing that's really scary about what the Warriors did is that I think this was a better Cleveland team than last year by a substantial margin. And yeah. the, yep. the outcome was yeah. still significantly in Golden State's favor. I'm with, I'm with Prada. I think, you know, this is, this was a better Cleveland team than last year. So, and I think this Cleveland team would have beat last year's Warriors where, you know, and I, I just think last year, the, the, the Cavs really kind of lucked into the, a few weird circumstances and it worked out for them. And then they just got on a roll and got momentum going. But I think this year's Cavs was better than last year's as Prada said to me, it's, it's, we're, we're going to get a Cavs uh, win if they didn't add KD. Hmm. Yeah, think? I, I agree with all you guys. I think, the Cavs would have won in five or six, but I, I also, Ooh, I don't know about that. Well, I, I mean, I, I know, I, mean, that, I guess six. Yeah. If they no, weren't I mean, at home, I, I mean, Clay's role would have been bigger. Draymond's role would have been bigger, but like, 
you would be asking for so much more from Iguodala. Um, the ability to trap Curry and get the ball out of his hands as they did as the series went on, they could do that without worrying about KD killing them at the end of the shot clock. Um, so I, I, I agree with what Mike said about how Cleveland is much better this year, particularly on the offensive end. I, I mean, they... It's really no for LeBron plus four shooters, which this year they were able to do that while staying small and versatile. Um, I know they have the defensive players are the greatest defensive personnel, but uh, I think their offense this year was just so much better. I think Love was better this year. He was much more comfortable, especially on the defensive end. Um, uh, Kyrie was, I guess, probably he was probably static, but I think LeBron was better. And um, just the, the way this team gelled and and. Uh, they were much better than they were last season on the offensive end. The defense was much worse, probably. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, I I do think that they would have won this series. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess in my in my head, I just would love to have seen it play out. But um, again, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, I love being able to watch you know a pick and roll between Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, like in in the mind's eye of whoever invented the pick and roll, um, you know, decades and decades and decades ago, if they could have envisioned a seven foot 10 point guard, or sorry, six foot 10 point guard, a seven foot point guard. It feels uh, like he's seven. Yeah. He might as well be seven. Um, <laughs> and, and then the greatest shooter of all time rubbing off each other, both of which are unselfish and fully willing to make the pass or to, you know, hint at the slip. And there was that one really great slip screen that Durant threw in the fourth quarter last night, where you're like, just the idea, the thought of him making a step in the direction to set a screen disrupted the entire defensive strategy for that play. Um, and, and it was kind of fascinating. Um, so with that being said, let's end this with placing Golden State where they should be in the history books of basketball. Um, let's start with Mike Prada, and then we'll go Mo, and then we'll let Pina uh, knock it out before I give you my final thought as well. So Prada, where does this Golden State team sit, uh, sit in the uh, Mount Rushmore, if you will, of, of great NBA teams? I mean, they have to be right near the top, right? I mean, why are we? why would we not think that? I think at this point, it's just, you know, you would there. You say that a lot of times, like, I think we become prisoners of the moment and elevate what's now. I think what's actually happening to this Warriors team is the opposite. We're sort of being too careful, you know, and not elevating them where they should. I mean, this this is in the salary cap era. They lost one game in in the playoffs, (laughs) one game, and they have four of the top 15 and they all work well together. And I mean. I don't know if they're the best team of all time, but like they're definitely, I think they're in the discussion. Like you kind of have to put them in there. And I, I don't, the only way you wouldn't put them in there, I think, is if you're just like too, you're still carrying a lot of bitter feelings about how they came together. I agree. Um, but I'll, I'll give you my summation of generational bashing. Uh, oh, yes. To, here we go. At the end. At the end. At the end. <laughs> first, oh, first man. Wanna, this is like Ben's favorite topic. Let me, let me make it quick then because I want to make sure we get the full time of, of Ben's uh, generation bashing. <laughs> they they got to be up there. I mean, the past three years, they've. <laughs> I mean, they're sixty-seven wins, seventy-three wins, and then walked into sixty-seven this year. Like, they, there are definitely some wins they left on the court that they easily should have won a few more games. They they got to be near the top. Sixteen and one in the playoffs is an amazing. That's just domination. I mean, and they came very close to sixteen and zero. It's they got to be up there near the top. You can have as many different discussions as we want. We have several different great teams over many great errors, but this is something like it really bugs me when people want to bash it. And I think Prada's right. It's when they talk about how they came together. I mean, like just enjoy the moment, you know, we're watching a 
greatest we're watching great great basketball being played like this is the way the game's meant to be played just enjoy the moment let's stop trying to figure everything out and be you know all pissy about how it all came together we're watching it now let's just enjoy it yeah i would say that they're on the short list i mean like oh one lakers um 96 bulls 86 celtics uh, one of those Philly teams from the early '80s, Showtime Lakers. I mean, they're in the faux 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 teams. Yeah, yeah. You go 16 and one in the playoffs with like a 13 net rating. You're you're up there. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's definitely hard to generationally compare basketball. Like Prade and I were watching that clip that sort of went viral. Of uh, was it the 1987 finals or I think it was 87 yeah. finals. Yeah. yeah, 87 finals. Get the first few minutes of Game Four when those teams couldn't make a shot. Yeah, Lakers and Celtics with you know no shortage of like nine Hall of Famers on the court, and it looked like it looked like something you would see at your local YMCA um, with a bunch of 40 year olds playing. Which legitimately there were like two 40 year olds on the court. Um, so. <laughs> I guess part of this, and I'll I'll finish it off with like I would put this Golden State team against any team in NBA history, and I would have them the the Vegas favorite. So I don't know if that makes them the greatest team of all time, but for any specific game or a seven game series, like I would challenge the '96 Bulls to think of a way to beat this team four times out of seven. Um, and playing by today's rules, well, right? Yeah, playing by today's yeah. rules, but like I definitely think that there's something to be said for the fact that like yeah, oh, like Steph Curry would get we'll get bowled over and bossed around if he played in the 1990s, which is like the Scottie Pippen theory on this all that like everyone's soft now and that the game is so easy. There's so much space. But then I also think to myself, like what Zaza wouldn't be assaulting people on the court. Like, (laughs) yeah. Imagine Draymond Green. Draymond would take like to use our uh, pass interference analogy that we always use. Like he would be trying to see what exactly he could not get away with on the court. Um, well, he did in game five. I mean, he was basically screening off like all of Steph's layups yeah. in semi-illegal fashion. In general, I've never seen so much offensive holding in any particular series. Um, Kevin Love and Zaza are unbelievable at the arm hook with one arm while still trying to attempt to do something with the other arm, um, which is somehow the refs have not you know, picked up on that. But my, my generational basketball thing is just this. This year, we got Oscar Robertson talking about how you know Westbrook had inflated statistics. We got Scottie Pippen talking about how this uh, you know a teammate of his and Steve Kerr, but ultimately that this Warriors team um, you know wouldn't have been able to compete with his Bulls team, so that there's some kind of like lapse in ability. And Kerr had that great that great line about how evolution is taking place outside uh, everywhere but the sports uh, realm, right? So somehow a 1950- or the basket the basketball realm, the basketball I would say specifically. Realm, yeah. You yeah, know, like, I don't think we see this in other sports. Yeah, and it was a great line because it was just like taking yeah, like we would have gotten killed by like George Mikan. Like the answer is no. George Mikan couldn't play for Division 3 college right now. And that's like part of it's an assumed and uh and definitely part of the overall conversation in other sports that it is just an assumed thing. That Chuck Bidnerick, who was a great two-way linebacker running back in the NFL in the 50s, 60s, couldn't play linebacker in today's NFL because he's 100 pounds less than that, right? That a guy who plays tight end now would be the biggest player in the NFL in the 70s. But somehow in basketball, the training, the physical fitness, the, the, uh, what we know about you know, the sabermetrics of basketball, if you will, if you want to go to like um, uh, the movement statistics, the plus minuses, the way that we view the game. 
is made these players worse. That the, what they know extra about their own uh, faculties and capabilities, et cetera, on the court uh, is now less than what it was in the 90s when you literally had guys golfing before games. And in the 80s and 70s when guys were still doing cocaine and all the performance enhancers possible and basketball was something where they expected a fist fight once a week. But just the idea that like the sport is devolving before our eyes and that's why we have a team this great makes no sense to me. And then a guy like Scottie Pippen to say that, who I, you know, Mike and I prayed around were talking about this. I think his game would be great for today's NBA. He'd be a hybrid three and D guy. He'd, he'd be uh, an interesting Draymond like player on the court, um, capable of playing center and guarding a point guard. So Scotty should be saying stuff like, God, I wish I played in today's game because my skill set would have been even more applicable. Not, I wish these guys played in my day because then I would have been able to, what, foul them more is their argument, hold them more is the argument. Like, that has nothing to do with basketball. And if you want to say your generation or your decades better because you could get away with more non-basketball-related activity, I just don't think that's a talking point. Um, And so that frustrated me throughout all of this. The fact that Steve Kerr, who was an NBA champion in the 90s, had to support and go to bat for his team that he's currently coaching against a former teammate of his for the type of uh, criticism that they just do not deserve. Um, was a sticking point for me. So I wanted to get that off my chest. I hate when yeah. I hate when older players talk about how great the game was and how bad it is now when we can clearly see with our own two eyes that a guy like Steph Curry would have gotten on the court in 1960 and Bob Cousy's head would have exploded. So. <laughs> yeah, the, but but no, the, the 2004 Pistons totally would have beaten these Warriors. Yeah, right. Yeah, totally. And so that's the stuff. I, I, think, this hurt, I think this hurts the game. I don't like, I, I think this hurts the game. What does? Uh, just the the constant like what you're talking about which is like it was so much better back in our day like uh, there's no in no other sport do we talk this way yeah that's that's maddening like i never hear comparisons about this in any other sport like why why is that i've been trying to figure this out i mean is it just so obvious in football that like the people who play in the 70s are too small like why isn't that the case for nba players i mean there's seven foot point guards now yeah. i think i think one factor is as durant said on some podcasts earlier this year money is a big deal like these guys are yeah. just bitter i think that that is a huge factor here i do think the game has obviously evolved rules the the, the, the physical makeup of the stars is is these guys don't look anything like they did 20 30 years ago but i think money and the popularity and the adoration that these guys are drawing that's a huge huge factor i agree here. That's yeah a good point Def- that's definitely it. I, it's got to be right there's not much else after that there's a, there's a lot of insecurity yeah. I think, with a lot of these players. But, you know, like, I'd be okay with, like, Craig Elo being like, I hate how popular these guys have gotten now. But, like, Scottie Pippen was at the top of the NBA world for arguably its most famous decade ever. I mean, one of the most popular decades, the 80s and 90s, with which he played in both, were a big part of kind of, you know, bringing the NBA into the fabric of sports Americana. And, and yet... This guy's the one complaining. Like Oscar Robertson, people have been defending the merits of your triple double record since the day that you got that, you know, that accolade or, or cemented that statistical accolade. So it's not like there was like a negative sentiment. I just don't understand why guys who are already thought of as, you know, the patriarchs of the league and of the sport, um, you know, the archetypes for who you want in your small forward and in your, uh, you know, do everything power forward, small forward, whatever Scotty was. Um, why those are the ones looking to still boost up their brand. It's like, we haven't forgotten about you. In fact, you're the reason why there is a Draymond Green. You're the reason right. why there is a, um, you know, a Russell Westbrook striving to get every rebound and, and you know, have that triple-double record. If anything, you should be welcoming these people, bringing your name 
back into that, oh, yeah, that's how we got there conversation. Yeah. Also, you're on TV. <laughs> like, we see you. I mean, that's the thing that kills me is that these are like, I mean, I'm not saying that these people should be saying that the NBA is like this all perfect thing. But, you know, in a sense, they are ambassadors for the league right now because they speak on it. Uh, they analyze it on TV. And yet they're using this platform to, I mean, Barkley is the worst offender, but I think you see this in a lot of other players as well. Yeah. You know, they're using their platform to maybe not necessarily just remind people about themselves but just to say that that they what they play it's better than what the viewing public that is tuning in to pay attention to like your thoughts on what's actually happening was better back in the day i just i think that hurts the game i'm i just you know there's some players who are really good at it i don't want to make it sound like you know it's all players there are a lot of really good ones i think brent barry is terrific just to yep. offer one example yep. um and there are a lot more but yeah, there, I think there are too many that are just stuck in the past a little yeah. bit, and it's. I think it hurts the game. And the yeah, NBA is in such a great place. Like, yeah. let's just be honest. Like, we have so many young, up and coming stars. Like, this is a fun time to be an NBA fan. You got. I'm watching Milwaukee on a regular basis. Three years ago, <laughs> I would have never said this. Okay, like you, I want to watch all the games I can possibly watch. I want to watch as many of these young guys play and see them blossom. Like, the NBA is probably in its best talent wise the best it's ever been yep and somehow it's bad to say that somehow it's like an insult to the previous people to say that and like i don't i think that's how it gets taken and then then by the way i I should you know qualify this all with i still think larry bird and magic johnson are historically great players this is like the counter argument is that people who fully appreciate today's game don't look at it like therefore it's lesser back then it's just that Everything has evolutionary touches to it, and obviously basketball is one of those sports. Um, the thought of a Kevin Durant in 1984 would have blown people's minds. Like, I mean, he's the same size as Olajuwon, but he shoots like Bird. Like, come on, that's anyhow. But um, I just wanted to put that out there. We're going to have plenty of time to bitch about the ancillary parts of basketball this <laughs> this summer on this podcast. So uh, I figured it'd be nice to kind of tee into that a little bit here. Um, I don't have much else. I do need to uh, leave my, my, my voiceover uh, studio that I'm in right now, unfortunately. So just uh, tie this all together. This season, we had Mo and Pina come on a number of times. So I really appreciate you guys coming on this podcast here to do the final wrap. It's, it's very poetic. I appreciate it, guys. Uh, thank hey, you guys for having us. Yes, yeah, of and we, we're not done, by the way. We are going to have a lot of off-season stuff. The draft is coming up, and we're going to have a ton of stuff from there, free agency, and all throughout the summer. Soon, we're going to be back to doing our team previews again with our with SB Nation sites. So, I mean, it's a twelve month never sport. ends. Twelve month sport never ends, and we're a twelve month podcast. <laughs> That's right. Well done, man. That's how you tie that one together. Um, great. This is fantastic. Uh, check out uh, Pina. He's writing full time for Vice Sports now. Lots of great stuff. Check him out. And then, obviously, Mo Docule here at thejumpball.net doing great breakdowns. I'm sure there's going to be no shortage of content coming from these fellas as we get into the draft and free agency. And, and then the season starts before you know it. So, um, as always, we appreciate them joining. For Preda, for Epstein here, this is the Limited Upside Podcast. Limited Upside Podcast.